0: Namaste and welcome to Vedanta the river of wisdom podcast a podcast that brings to you the ancient flowing tradition of vedanta which reveals that you are pure being having a human experience i'm your guide by the side swamini b let us flow you and i on the banks of the river of wisdom It's monsoon time in Mumbai, and you probably can hear some of the pitter-patter. Close to Mumbai is a lovely hill station called Matheran, full of semi-evergreen trees and Asia's only automobile-free hill station. I enjoyed going there. There are more than 30 places or viewpoints across different hills where one can see beautiful views of the other hill ranges, covered by forests. I remember one time when we went during the monsoons. As me and a few friends made our way through a narrow path on a small hike, it started to get misty. There was a lovely chill in the air. We walked slowly, thoroughly basking in the aliveness of the forest and its sounds. After some time, it became so foggy that we could not even see two meters ahead. Mobile phones had just arrived and we did not have access to GPS trackers or any such. We did not know whether to wait or to move and if to move, where to move. When one cannot see clearly, the mind starts to play tricks. One friend said, what if a mountain bear comes or a snake comes? We will be eaten up or bitten and won't even know where to run. For all you know, we may just plunge into the cliff. And I haven't even told anyone at home that I'm coming here. How will my family find me? Another friend said, Shh, you're so pessimistic. Don't worry. All will be well. Let's just wait for some time. Let's sit right here and wait for the fog to clear. Yet another friend slowly whispered bhoot meaning ghost the first friend replied hey it's not funny anymore let's stay right here reluctant and scared we sat down in silence with one of them humming some songs in about an hour the fog cleared enough for us to see the road ahead and and we were able to find our way back to the hotel Waiting for the fog to clear was the right thing to do then. In life, as we face different and difficult situations, very often we are faced with the fog of subjectivity. The fog envelops things with an ethereal and mystical quality which can be attractive, but then one cannot see clearly and hence one's decisions and actions are severely compromised leading to doubt anger fear and sadness i call it the fog of subjectivity because while in the fog i am my reactions and patterns to situations and the sad part is that i don't even know that i'm stuck because of my subjectivity seeing a situation not for what it is but colored by my ideas and patterns is also referred to as Pratibhasika Satyam or subjective reality. Unless we are able to see how subjectivity fogs our vision, we can never value the clarity of objectivity. Being in touch with functional reality is Vyavaharika Satyam. A good step towards growing Viveka discriminative inquiry is to discern what is subjective and objective about a given situation. David Burns talks about thought distortions, which are our subjective ways of looking at things. All of us tend to have these to some extent, but when it is excessive, then reality surely bites. It is helpful to see the connection between our thoughts and the resulting emotions. Some of the ways we are subjective and can be objective are 1. Filtering We either magnify or minimize a particular aspect of a situation. In a recent online Zoom event, there were a couple of glitches in sharing the screen. One person remarked, Your coordination was terrible. Those glitches really affected the program. Another person said, as if to pacify, I did not even notice those coordination glitches. These things happen. It was an excellent program. In the first case, the person has maximized the problem to a huge extent. And in the other case, the second person has minimized the problem to it being almost non-existent. Both perspectives are subjective. It is also true that many of the participants shared their joy of participating in the program. So how do we move from subjectivity to objectivity? We focus on facts. In the two hour program, there were a total of four minutes where there were coordination glitches. None of the glitches seemed to have overshadowed the program. It may have tried the patience of a few participants. A way to avoid the glitches could be to practice the transfer of tasks some more or to have delegated it to someone else. Second type of thought distortion or subjectivity is all or none thinking, seeing the world in black or white. A newly married couple came in to talk about their marriage after a long honeymoon abroad. Now that they were back, the husband was lost in his work. There was very little communication. The man's explanation was that he likes to devote his time and energy to one thing at a time. He thought his wife should be happy he spent so much time with her on the honeymoon and should now allow him to concentrate fully on his work. He wanted to compartmentalize his life into honeymoon then and work now. Some of us tend to have this all or none thinking. We slot and categorize people and situations all the time. Left wing, right wing, east, west, good luck, bad luck, good person, bad person. There is no question of anything in between and this kind of thinking results in a lot of anger and misunderstanding as most people cannot be slotted into categories. And so we shift to an objective mode by learning to play many roles simultaneously. Life is dynamic and the balance is also dynamic. Our itihasas, Ramayana and Mahabharata, are wonderful epics for us to appreciate that no character is really black or white. Even a person like Ravana who kidnapped Sita also performed admirable tapasya, religious discipline to gain the boon of Shiva. When we are objective, we are open to the shades of grey and the richness of people and what they bring to a situation. 3. Overgeneralization we take a thought and overgeneralize to all people or situations or to our entire life. Let's look at the hypothesis. Plants require water to survive. One would have seen a lot of plants thriving with water and other factors and also plants wilting or dying without any water at all. So there is enough grounds for me to come up with a hypothesis. But When this lady faced a couple of incidents only where her trust was betrayed, she declared that no one can be trusted in this world. She's not friendly, not trusting, and people also respond with apprehension and skepticism around her. She confirms her hypothesis. See, I knew it. I told you. No one can be trusted. No one inspires trust and people are not trustworthy. To come up with a principle or a learning for life, surely more than two instances, in fact a lot of instances are required. We shift to objectivity when we see that the theme or thought or principle pertaining to one or two incidents is only related to these incidents, period. All situations are not the same. Yes, I feel vulnerable. I don't want my trust betrayed. Yet, unless I take baby steps towards trusting, how can I trust a person? Only if I trust, I can connect. What if I get hurt? It's possible and that's why I will take baby steps. I can handle it if I get hurt. I can be worthy of someone's trust, surely. Earlier, I was seeking safety and protection in the lesson of not trusting. But this overgeneralization is preventing me from being open and embracing life's experiences. Fourth, exaggeration. Many of us enjoy a sense of drama in our lives and have a tendency to overstate how we feel. When we are sad, we say, oh, I'm so depressed or I am hopeless. A teenager exclaims to a friend, you are a fashion disaster. The gravity of the situation does not match the intensity of the language used. And the language used contributes to us feeling upset as we have exaggerated the emotion felt. We shift to objective responses by Toning down our exaggerations or not being a victim of our own exaggeration. 5. Personalization Personalization is a thinking pattern where the individual feels targeted by the words of someone else, even though that was not the intention at all. This happens sometimes in a guru-shishya relationship when the shishya, the student, has been with the guru for a while and thinks that she knows the Guru very well. When the Guru uses an example to illustrate a point, the Shishya may feel that the Guru is targeting her based on information shared in the past. Because the student is vulnerable, the student's personalization makes her think that everything is about her. One can shift from a subjective mode to an objective mode by seeing that one is feeling scared, perhaps hurt, being around the Guru and wants and needs approval. Since she believes that the Guru is targeting her, she could check her perception with the Guru and in all likelihood may find that it is just her projection. 6. Blaming With this pattern of subjectivity, the individual blames someone else for all her issues. Starting with one's parents, one can believe the world, God, the planets, and even oneself. If you hold yourself or the other totally responsible for your misery, then that line of thinking is not in harmony with reality. The shift to an objective mode happens when we see how different people contributed to certain outcomes. Bhagavad Gita encourages us to move away. From this blaming mindset by taking responsibility. I am objective when I have the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. 7. Shoulds. Many of us have a long list of shoulds regarding how I should behave and how the other should behave. When others don't the line it makes us angry. Take for example a yoga teacher who tells everyone she meets that they must practice yoga. She says it because she values what yoga has brought into her life and wishes the same benefits for everyone else. So far so good but she imposes her view not recognizing that they have their own lives and they make up their own minds Regarding what must be done. Her shoulds are ignored and she is furious. She definitely needs yoga to deal with her own anger. Anger is a common byproduct in individuals who have very rigid shoulds and should nots. The shift to an objective mode happens when we see that yes, we would prefer to see people taking to yoga, we also see that people are free. And have their own ways of dealing with their own lives. We learn to have leisure in being ourselves and allow people the freedom to be what and who they are. Of course, if they are stepping on your toes, you have to tell them to back off. Eight, mind reading. A student said to me, I'm sure you think that I'm a loser. I was shocked. I said, okay, what else am I thinking? The student continued. You think that I'm not sincere enough and not dedicated enough. And I asked the student, how did you get this idea? No, I know what you're thinking. Really? The fears that she had about my perception of her, she imagined them to be real and actually believed that she knew exactly what I was thinking. This is a subjective view and needs to be verified. I clarified that, hey, this is not true at all. In fact, I thought highly of her. She was not convinced. Her subjective reality had gained precedence over the objective reality of me sharing my thoughts about her. Many a relationship has been destroyed because we don't care to check whether our perceptions about what people think about us are really true or not. We love to be mind readers and we believe that our minds are more true than the reality outside. So we shift to an objective mode when we see that my my attempts at mind reading are just that. If they do not match functional reality, then I have to drop these thoughts and check with the person rather than always play the guessing game. 9. Fantasy of Fairness Some of us feel that when we have done our bit, we must be rewarded. Like the pilgrim who travelled all the way to Vaishno Devi, a very beautiful temple for the Devi, where one walks almost 14 kilometers. She braved the elements and the tough journey and once she got there, she got only a few seconds of darshan. It was very quick and she was shoved and all this after walking for 14 kilometers in the cold. Very upset. The whole point of a pilgrimage is that the journey is made with the thought of Ishwara for company. And yet this pilgrim was unable to see the joy of that journey because she felt she was not fairly rewarded for her effort. The fantasy that we have is that if we do our bit, We will always be rewarded. We behave like the world owes us. We shift to an objective mode in seeing the laws of karma. That the results one gets for the karma performed may be in line with what one expects, may be less than what one expects, more than what one expects or totally different from what one expects. 9. In this pattern, one focuses only on one's emotions. If I feel I'm a loser, then maybe it's true. Without any logic to back up the feeling, the person gets carried away with the certainty that emotion is reality. We shift to an objective mode by seeing that emotions are emotions and definitely valid, but they may or may not be reality. We ask ourselves, what is true? and the evidence for it. 10. I'm always right. This is a pitfall especially for those who believe that they are in line with dharma at all times. Such a person will put the onus of change on the other and the person is unwilling to examine one's own thought patterns. So now that we have looked at about 10 ways of these thought distortions Or from the Vedanta perspective, 10 ways of being subjective, we see that all of these patterns all of us have in small measure. And if if that is so, that's not a problem. We are objective to our subjectivity. We hold ourselves with some compassion and gentleness and gently try to shift to an objective mode. We ask ourselves, is this really true? What is the evidence for this belief? Is it helpful to be? Is this way of thinking in line with reality? By just asking ourselves these simple questions and a willingness to align ourselves to functional reality, Vyavaharika Satyam, We have moved a long way. We have moved from our subjective reality, that is Pratibhasika Satyam, to being more in touch with the common world that all of us experience. That is Vyavaharika Satyam, functional reality. Honestly, there are not two realities, only one all-pervasive reality that pervades both pratibhasika satyam that is subjective reality and vyavaharika satyam functional reality all the way there is only one reality one without a second but for now since our focus is on functional reality we are in touch with the order that is ishvara as we see cause and effect we see that everything is given this is being objective By aligning with functional reality, we are less subjective, more objective, definitely more cheerful and enthusiastic. And hence, the fog of subjectivity clears as we shine the light of objectivity. You matter. Your life matters. What you do with your life matters. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode Interesting or insightful, I do hope you will consider sharing this with your friends or family or even on social media. You would have noticed that I introduced the podcast by saying Vedanta, the river of wisdom. And I want to specially thank Noah from Germany and Sonali who suggested this new edition, a welcome edition. To the title. As always, I love to hear from you. Any reflections or questions are all welcome. The ID is swaminiji at discoveratma.com. That's S W A M I N I J I at discoveratma.com. We have an archive of more than 100 episodes of Vedanta, the River of Wisdom podcast. And I do hope you find the time to check some of them out. They are just between 10 to 20 minutes. Thanks for listening and see you next week.